Has divorce become a reality and you are asking yourself, now what? If you have questions about your new life, you're in the right place. Her Divorce Source with Leah Jones is the go-to podcast for women before, during, and after a divorce. Join me, Leah Jones, a certified divorce financial analyst at Hightower Bethesda, as I help you envision and create a new life that's full of possibilities, empowerment, and freedom. I'll tackle your concerns about lifestyle and money, giving you practical guidance you can use right away. Now let's get started. Welcome to Her Divorce Source with Leah Jones. Leah's guest this show is Christine Lucan, the founder of the Financial Dignity Movement. Christine is a certified divorce specialist, coach, author, and authority on money, mindset, and emotion. Leah and Christine will talk about three emotional money mistakes made by women in the process of divorce. Christine, so excited to have you with us today. And just to give our listeners some background, talk a little bit about you and how you kind of came to be doing the type of things that you do now. Well, thank you so much for having me, first of all. Yes, my name is Christine Lucan. I am a financial dignity coach. And I don't do this because I've always done it perfectly. In fact, it's quite the opposite. At age 26, I crashed and burned financially, despite having an accounting degree. And a good part of that reason was because of the relationship that I was in. I was engaged to a guy who had terrible money habits. He was in and out of jobs, even in and out of jail. And I thought if I just loved him enough that he would change. And he did. He got worse. So at age 26, I found myself deeply in debt, no money in my account, pretty much all of my bills past due with collectors calling me and wanting to leave this relationship, but but having no money to leave. And so I had to reach out to my family to get help so I could move on with my life. And that was, that was my low point. You know, it was, there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of embarrassment around that, especially because I was someone who should have known better. And I understand what it feels like when you're leaving a long-term relationship especially one that has had a lot of emotional and financial dysfunction as a part of it, that it is a healing process. And there are a lot of mistakes that we can make when we are going through divorce or the breakup of a long-term relationship. And so that is one of the core reasons why I do what I do now, coaching people who are going through divorce because money is emotional and we really can't take the emotions out of divorce. But what we can do is develop an emotional intelligence around money so that we make choices today with our money that we're going to be happy with tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. Wow. That is a very powerful story. And I love the fact that you took something that was very bad, a situation that was very traumatic, and you really turned it into 
a learning opportunity and you showed a lot of resilience. And then now, in fact, you've made it into something that really influences and powers guidance, good guidance that you give to other people so that they don't find themselves in the same situation. So I love that. I think a, a testament to someone's character is always their resiliency, right? Yeah. So yes. Christine, good for you. Kudos. <laughs> Thank kudos, you. girl. Uh, taking it, something bad and making it good. <laughs> well, it was definitely a process. It was definitely a long process. Obviously, there was a lot of healing. There was a lot of counseling that went into that along with the hard work of repairing my own fin- financial situation along the way. Right. But the core recognition that there needed to be change, I think is really yeah. pivotal, pivotal. The time that it takes to to make the change, you know, is going to vary from person to person, but the recognition right. is huge. And I love the term that you coined financial dignity. Talk to me a little bit about that. Cause I just love everything about it. <laughs> well, you know what? I loved it so much myself that I've got several programs. My coaching is financial dignity coaching. I loved it so much. I actually trademarked it. <laughs> oh, nice. So yes. any, any listeners out there, it's trademarked. Can't yeah, take it. Sorry. Um, well, to me, really what financial dignity means is deep down inside, you feel good about your relationship with money. I studied a lot of financial gurus and different techniques for how to pay off debt, for how to manage your spending, et cetera. And unfortunately, I have seen that there is some shame-based tactics that are being used out there against people to kind of shame them into behaving. I've heard stories from from women and some men of financial professionals who have shamed them or made them feel inferior either because of the mistakes that they made or because that they didn't know certain things. And that really, that causes people to pull away and not to get the help that they need. To me, dignity is the opposite of shame. And when I see somebody who is either experiencing that shame or even more so when I see somebody who is perpetuating that, that bothers me so bad. It really is a movement for me to help people to understand that there is an emotional side to money and it's not wrong and it's not bad, but we need to have the knowledge and the skills to navigate it. And also to teach other financial professionals about this emotional side of money so that they can help their clients. Because if they don't know about it and they don't understand how it works, then they can feel very frustrated. And I could see how someone would feel exasperated if they give their clients good information, they try to help them and guide them down the right path, and the client doesn't take the advice or does the opposite, I can see how they would be frustrated and want to give up on somebody if they didn't understand the emotional side of money. I couldn't agree with you more on your definition with the definition being that it's how people, how their feeling is toward their relationship with money. And what's interesting is I I work with high net worth clients and you'd be surprised. It doesn't have to 
deal with the amount of money that they have. I see people with lots of money all the time that still feel some type of shame or embarrassment or regret, insert negative emotion here about money, even though they have tons of money. So looking on the outside in, you'd say, how could they possibly feel that way? But you know, as well as I know, there's a variety of reasons why people have negative emotions with money that can stem all the way back to childhood, or sometimes maybe people feel guilt about having too much money, right? I mean, there's all all types of of feelings. Yeah. I know one of the things that you have had a firsthand view of in dealing with a lot of uh, divorcing women is common emotional money mistakes that a woman is likely to make while she's going through divorce. And what I really want our listeners to get from today's conversation, um, besides the wonderful world word of financial dignity, (laughs) is I want them to look for some of these red flags so that they can exit their marriage with financial dignity um, and go on to build a positive relationship and association with money. So can you talk to us a little bit today about the three most common emotional money mistakes that you see? Yeah, absolutely. The first one is using money as a weapon. And the out-of-control emotion that is driving that is anger. Here's the thing. You might be very justified in feeling angry against your spouse or soon-to-be ex-spouse because they may have hurt you very deeply. They might have cheated on you. They might have spent money unwisely. There can be a whole host of reasons that you could be completely justified in your anger against your soon-to-be ex. But the problem is when we bring money into the situation, we can actually hurt ourselves long-term. And I have seen women try to get revenge with money against against their spouse. First of all, if you're not divorced yet, what you have to understand is that half of that money is yours. So whatever you're trying to punish them with, right? Like you're also doing it to yourself. But here's a great example. Um, I was talking to a financial planner a couple of years ago, and he was so frustrated because he was, you know, essentially helping this divorcing woman. She was getting a certain amount of money from her husband's ex-husband's 401k. And she insisted that she was going to cash out $50,000 of the money that was coming. And she was going to use it to buy a red BMW convertible because she wanted to throw it in his face that she was spending his money on something frivolous every single time he saw her in that car when she was picking the kids up or dropping the kids off. This was supposed to be like a slap in the face to him because he was cheating on her. And that's why they got divorced. And the financial planner kept trying to explain to her, if you do this, you're going to be hit with taxes and penalties. So this car, like it's really not costing you 50,000. It's really costing you more like 75 or 80,000 because of these fees and these taxes, not to mention the growth 
the future growth that she was going to miss out on over the next 25 years on this money. And it was just like she was seeing red so badly that she just had to have this car to get him back. But she was really hurting herself. If she had really stopped and said, is this good for me now and later? I don't think she could have honestly said yes. When someone is feeling overwhelming anger, it is okay to feel this. We just need to find a productive outlet. And I find that physical exercise is amazing. Go sign up for a kickboxing class. You know, go sign up for a marathon. Go lift weights. Do something that will physically get this anger out of your body. Because if you pull money in between you and your ex in anger, you're not going to be happy with the long-term consequences. I think that is such a great story. And I myself have seen many examples. You're right. When there's a lot of anger and emotion, it's easy to try to use money because that's something that you're most likely in pretty intense conversations about as kind of the, I'm going to get you back. But you're exactly right in that, you know, you're really hurting yourself, like shooting yourself in the foot, right? Comes Mm -hmm. to expression that comes to mind. That's exactly right. If you can talk to someone and you can find an outlet for that negative emotion and energy and that anger, then you can come back to, you know, your advocates, which is hopefully a financial advisor that you're working with, your divorce attorney, whoever your team is that's supporting you and they're trying to give you the good advice and then you can actually listen. And as a financial advisor myself, I cringe when I hear that story, right? Because I'm thinking all the things that you said, oh, you're taking out your 401k, you're playing penalties, losing growth, plus you're buying something that's going to be worth half of what it was after you bought it. Oh my gosh, I cringe, right? But if you're talking to someone that's seen red, they are going to be so uninterested in the details of the financial ruin that they are (laughs) bringing upon themselves because all they're seeing is, well, this is really going to tick off my spouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really important to separate those concepts. And I think the other way that this is used all the time is in racking up huge legal fees. Yes. I mean, that's using money as a weapon as well. Well, we're going to drag this out and I'm going to fight you tooth and nail over every penny. In the end, again, most times people are just hurting themselves. You know, there are a few cases where the money that is spent in, in very litigious situations ends up being justified in the end. And, and those yes. are generally only cases where there was a lot of foul play and there's hidden assets. And then in the end, you might say, yes, it justifies it, right? Because if you spent $100,000 and you recovered 2 million of hidden assets, yes, it makes sense. But I would say 97%, that's that's unofficial. (laughs) Unofficial, this is Leah just kind of making up a number based on what she's seen. But 97% of cases do not fall into that category where it ever makes sense to spend that type of money fighting each other. And that is definitely using it as a weapon. Absolutely. 
Let's talk about number two common emotional money mistake. Number two is what I call giving away the store. And this is the mistake that I fell into. This is when you agree to anything and everything because you are so sick and tired of fighting. You are tired of the conflict. You just want it to be over. And you walk away from things and money that you are justifiably entitled to because you just want to get away. I am someone that is not naturally embracing of conflict. It's not something that I enjoy. I have learned when I need to do it that I that I can disagree with people or negotiate, et cetera. But in my in my early 20s, I I hated conflict. My parents never fought in front of us. When they got divorced when I was 17, my brother and I were in shock for like three weeks because we were like, wait a minute, you guys like never fought. Like, I don't even understand what's going on here. But healthy, healthy disagreements were never modeled for me. And so one of the ways that my ex-fiance would get his way is he would pick an argument, argument with me. He would pick an argument with me because he knew that he would wear me down and eventually I would give in and give him what he wanted. So by the time it came to leave, when he would start to say, well, I don't want you to take that furniture. I'm going to need that. I was just like, whatever. I don't even care. We didn't really have any assets. I'll be honest with you. There were a few things that I left with him that I kind of kicked myself for. I'm like, I really loved that. I should have taken that. Not that it was anything expensive, but all of the debt was racked up in my name and I did not insist that he pay his portion of it. His car was in my name because he had two DUIs. And rather than take that car and sell it and pay off part of the debt, which is what smart me now would do (laughs) or would advise somebody else to do, I basically signed the car over to one of his friends who was going to buy it from him and, and pay him the money. But I just I had no boundaries and I had to learn through counseling what good boundaries were and really internalize that and and figure out that process. And I see this with a lot of women who are coming out of relationships where they're divorcing a narcissist or they're divorcing someone who is emotionally abusive or someone who like my ex, you know, was manipulative they're just done. They're tired of the fighting. But the problem is if you don't advocate for yourself and what is justifiably yours when it comes to the financial stuff, when it comes to the household goods, et cetera, it's going to be a decision later where you're going to say, I wish I would have fought for that. As you know, 
once a divorce decree is finalized, whether it's the money, the support, the co-parenting agreements, those things are hard and costly to revise. And so I think it's very important, especially for professionals like us, whether we're financial professionals or legal professionals, to help our clients advocate for themselves. And, you know, when it comes to the legal team, advocating for the for their uh, clients to, to get them what is justifiably theirs. And so sometimes I find that women have a hard time advocating for themselves. And so my solution to this is to appeal to a higher cause. If a woman has children, she could be the nicest, sweetest, kindest doormat of a woman. But if you mess with her children, all of a sudden mama bear comes out, right? So what I tell my clients is, look, Every dollar that you are leaving on the table is a dollar that doesn't go to your child. And if they don't have children, I find out what cause is important to them. Maybe they would love to donate to the local animal shelter or there's a, a medical charity that they, that they love and they want to donate more to. Every dollar that they don't get is money that is being taken away, not just from them, but for the things and the people that they want to take care of. So sometimes that little trick can help someone to kind of slow down and say, wait a minute, maybe this is worth fighting for. I like that trick a lot. I have to say, I don't, I, I want to try to have a, a different different word than trick. I, I like that strategy. Let's call that, you know, that strategy because, because it's hard, right? So in the first one, you have someone that is kind of using money as, as a weapon and is shooting themselves in the foot and, and making situations, uh, making financial decisions that are not going to empower them in the future. And in this case, they're um, also being quite reckless if they are not advocating for themselves and they're just being uh, a doormat. Um, and saying, you know, I'll just, I, I'm just going to give up and whatever it is that I get is, is fine. I'll take it. Now, right. I, I actually, I have seen situations where someone is fighting over something and it just doesn't make financial sense. And so I will right. actually say to them, this just doesn't, this isn't financially important. <laughs> right. um, and it seems to be a sticking point. And so I think it's really important to say, what do you want to get out of this? So if you really mm -hmm. want to get out of, for example, um, you want to make sure that you get the custody. It is a case where there's kids involved and you want to have a higher portion of the custody or something like that. And n now you and your husband are maybe fighting over something that is a financial matter where it's disadvantageous to you. Then, you know, maybe that's something you give on a little bit more because that piece of custody is much more important to you. So I do think it's really important to pick your battles because otherwise you, you are going to be battling constantly and eventually it will lead to exhaustion and financially financial consequences because you're just racking right. up costs as yeah. you're doing that and you're prolonging your ability to move on right which is the Absolutely. biggest thing i think that that's really tough is it's it's almost like you need to make a list of things and say you know what at the end of the day does the house really matter does it really matter if i stay in the house 
Does it really matter if we split the, the furniture 50-50? Does it really matter, right? Like go down that list of things and say to yourself, well, these are the ones that are really important and they're worth fighting for. And right. these are the things that don't. Is there any, are there any yeah. other strategies like that that you, you find to be effective in, in this situation? Well, I do think it is, like you said, it is about balance of what is worth fighting for. And sometimes it, if there is something that someone feels very strongly about, then we need to stop and ask why, why is this particular thing important? And so if we can articulate that, sometimes it's not really the thing there's there, it might be like a sentimental reason behind something, you know, that they wanted to keep a certain piece of furniture because maybe it came from his great aunt that you had a great relationship with or something along those lines. But I think in, in all of the situations that we're talking about, I think it is vitally important that anyone going through divorce have a counselor or therapist that they can talk these things out with because they will they will help to guide you as you're going through divorce to to really understand the emotional root of what's going on that might not be obvious on the surface. I have to agree with you on that point that's something I always talk to my divorcing women clients about is having a therapist because well, number one, the financial aspect of a therapist is much less costly than talking to your divorce attorney. There, it's usually about two to three times more expensive to talk to your divorce attorney uh, about therapy matters. And most of the time, honestly, yes. they don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> they really don't. And they're not equipped to help you in that avenue, right? So Absolutely. Talk, talk to the person, the, the professional that is appropriate for you to talk to about what the topic is. So couldn't agree more on that point. So last but not least, talk to me about the the third uh, most common emotional money mistake you see divorcing women make. The, the third and final one is what I call the deer in the headlights. And this is when you refuse to take action. It's, you're just, you're paralyzed. And there's typically two causes for this. And depending on which cause it is, that's the solution is going to be different. And I think this is also important for people who are helping others who are going through divorce to understand this, because it's not necessarily one cause of this particular behavior of having this deer in the headlights. And you've probably encountered this with your clients where you have given them things that they're supposed to do and they're supposed to get back to you. And it's, you know, you talk to them like two, three, four, five times and they're not making forward progress. So one of two things is happening. They are either overwhelmed or they are confused. And so the easiest way to figure out which one is it is answering this question. Will more information help to move this forward? So if you have someone who is overwhelmed and you give them more information, they're only gonna be more overwhelmed. So if you say, 
to somebody like, hey, I can, I'm seeing this pattern here of me asking for X, Y, and Z, and this isn't getting done. Is there more information that you need in order to move forward? Or are you feeling overwhelmed? If they're feeling overwhelmed, then the answer is baby steps. And I know sometimes as legal or financial professionals, we want to give people a whole laundry list of things to get done in order to get to their final end result. Some people will look at that list and it feels so long and so overwhelming that they do nothing. Sometimes we just need to take it one little thing at a time. And I think that's why my clients love working with me because usually at the end of our sessions, they maybe have like two or three things to do over the next two weeks. Even though after their first appointment, I could probably give them a list of like 24 things that they're going to need to do, but I know that's going to overwhelm them, right? And so if we can just focus on what is the very next step that we need to take in order to start moving forward, that's the solution for the person who is overwhelmed. Sometimes people will be confused and they will be embarrassed by the fact that they are confused and they don't know what you're talking about. And so they will not ask for clarification. We have to make sure that we're not using jargon. And I am amazed by how many of my clients, most of them making multiple six figures, who don't know what a quadro is, who don't know what the difference is between a regular IRA and a Roth IRA. They hear these terms all the time, but they, they're they a little fuzzy on what they mean. And they're embarrassed by the fact that they don't know. Well, I have to, I have to interrupt you there, Christine, as a financial <laughs> professional, okay, we use this fancy terminology that's very confusing so that we appear smarter than we are. <laughs> that's the secret. Uh, I know. And it's, well, it's hard because when we're immersed in this stuff all day, every day, it, it's not that we are doing it to make our clients feel dumb or feel less than. It's just, we're used to, we're used to these terms and we know what they mean. We breathe and eat and sleep them. And so we assume that everybody else knows them. And so asking your client, is this, do you need more information? Are you clear on what needs to be done? Is there anything that you have questions about? Asking those kinds of things is going to help determine, okay, it's not that this person is overwhelmed, they're just confused and they're not sure exactly what they're supposed to be doing next. Um, and so if you are somebody who's going through divorce and you feel paralyzed, the question you need to ask yourself is, will more information help me or not? And if more information will help me, then that means you need to go to either your attorney, your financial planner, or whoever it may be, and say, I'm confused. I need more information. Don't be embarrassed about that. That's what you are paying us for, to help you. Then you can get the information that you need to move forward. And if you're overwhelmed, 
then you may just need to go to your attorney or your financial planner and say, I'm feeling very overwhelmed right now. Can you just tell me the one thing that I need to do next? And just let me focus on that. And then when, when I'm finished with that, then you can tell me the next thing. That would really help me to move forward. And your financial or legal professional is going to be grateful that you're, that you're honest with them and they will be happy to help you with that so that things can start to move forward. Christine, I think you've given our listeners some great strategies, right? Because they don't necessarily recognize which one of these they're making at the time. Oftentimes it's hindsight that reveals it. And if we can get in front of that, that would be really helpful. And to expect the professional to be able to identify it. I mean, of course we want that, but everybody has their own predisposition. So they're not going to necessarily be as intuitive about what is causing this blockage um, from this divorcing woman, right? They might just say, oh, I don't have time for the various blockers that they have as well. So if we can get people on the same page, that really helps. So can you tell our listeners out there, Christine, what you do and how you can work with them? What I do when I work with my clients one-on-one, we work together for a period of six months and we are doing a combination of the tactical practical financial things that they need to do to move forward, such as getting organized, getting our hands around what exactly we're dealing with, getting them set up on a personal finance app to help them make better decisions in the moment, you know, and just to be that, that person that, that can help them see clearly in black and white, I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z, Is this the right way to go? Am I going to regret this decision later? But then also the emotional and the relational side of things. Because if you're going through a divorce, even though you're leaving your ex-spouse, you and money are going to be together forever. You're interacting with money pretty much every day. You're spending money, you're earning money, you're managing money. We work through this process of uncovering and understanding what our current relationship with money is, and then helping to heal that for the future, because we don't want to take emotional money baggage into our new life. Whether or not that new life will include a future spouse, but we want to make sure that, yes, we are handling the day-to-day practical stuff, but that we also have a good relationship with money. Because at the end of the day, it's not really about the money. Money's highest purpose is to support our happiness. By bringing those two things together, that's what I help my clients achieve when they go through the financial dignity coaching program with me. You can't get away from money. Absolutely. No. <laughs> you can't. And, and the more positive associations you can make with it, and like you said, use it as a tool to support your happiness. You can't buy happiness. Yes. Certainly you can support your happiness goals with money. Love all those points. In summary, I'm going to try to summarize everything that we just talked about real quick. We had so much great content, but basically the three most common emotional money mistakes that went divorcing women make, number one is using money as a weapon. And how we can combat that is to find some outlets for our anger that are more constructive. Number two is just basically giving away the store, as you call it. 
And in that case, we need to empower our divorcing women to find out what is really important to them and to really segment that and, and figure out what is worth fighting for. The third, the deer in headlights is being overwhelmed and we need to help our divorcing women to figure out what it is they need to move forward. In an, and is it that they need to take baby steps to move forward and they're just getting overwhelmed by the amounts, the quantity of information and they need someone to kind of hold their hand and walk them through things slowly, one step at a time to, to make forward progress. And that's the end goal here, forward progress. How do we get Absolutely. there? Or are they embarrassed? If they're embarrassed, then they need to feel okay about asking questions. They're paying people to help them. So ask questions, get the information, figure out if you need more information and don't be embarrassed to ask for it. Every single one of these is such a great point. Thank you so much, Christine, today for your time and your insight and definitely look forward to speaking to you more in the future. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to Her Divorce Source with Leah Jones from Hightower Bethesda. Don't forget to follow the podcast to be notified whenever a new episode is released. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.